Hi, this is Mike, co-host of Realistic Sustainability, the podcast, which you probably already know, but I'm also the author of A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. That was the book that led to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and, well, even this show. It offers tips on promoting your positive footprint while decreasing your carbon footprint. So, if you want to read what started all of this, get A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life, available on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or just visit greeningyourlife.org for more information. Thank you for joining the sustainable movement and promoting a greener future. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. Hello, brother. How are you today? Uh, I'm good. I had a wedding drop-off in um, Vermontville, if you know where that is. I don't, but I'll pretend. Vermontville is over on the other side of Lansing. I a lot. And you had a food drop-off today? I did. I did have a food drop-off today. Um, it was a little stressful, I'm not going to lie. Because they wanted us to drop the food off at 3.45. They weren't planning on having dinner till 5 o'clock. It was 85 degrees outside today, and they had no refrigeration for their cold food. Really? really? How did you manage to resolve that? Um, not well. <laughs> I flagged down the mother-in-law, and I explained the situation. I was we were contracted to bring food here. We, we were here. We have it. A small portion of the refrigerated food needs to be put out early for hors d'oeuvres, fruit, stuff like that. But it was like the salad bar itself. I was like, it's supposed to be kept cold so it doesn't wilt until dinner. And dinner's in an hour and a half. I don't really have an excellent dinner. I, my contract stipulates, you know, such and such. I was like, we can longer. We keep it in these, these insulated containers so it stays nice and fresh. I was like, but once we leave, it's in trouble. As we were getting it out, they brought over some ice and they were uh, trying to keep it cold. But with the distance of the drive away, I wasn't prepared to leave my equipment. Cause it's an hour and a half drive. Right. I wasn't right. prepared. And it was a, lo- a location that I'm not familiar with. I've never been to this venue. I don't have a relationship with the owner. I wasn't prepared to volunteerly my equipment so they can keep the stuff cold. Not that I don't, I wouldn't want to, I, I want to help any way that I can, but there was too many variables for me to uh, sacrifice or potentially sacrifice a little bit of equipment I've already purchased. Gotcha. So was everything okay or did they get it all figured out? I think they got it all figured out. They were super happy. They were getting into the hors d'oeuvres as I was leaving. It was a super nice day. Beautiful place. It's called Cherry Bark Farm. Very nice. One of those uh, these wedding venues, it's built inside of an old Amish barn. So it's all stick built and they just kind of, you know, turned it into a wedding place. Gotcha. Well, <laughs> I spent last night in the dark. So we recorded an episode talking about how the electrical grid should work. And I spent the rest of my night wishing that it was already here. We had a tree branch come down, smash. Matter of fact, I could hear it popping outside. That's how close it was to the house because we had a big storm, of course. And again, I was making jokes about recording about weird weather while while we were having that weather. Mm -hmm. 
it took down large chunks of a neighboring tree, pulled down lines, and we could hear it popping outside. The lights were turning on, turning off. So not only did we have fun discussing the uh, electrical grid, I got to enjoy how fragile it was last night. That would have been a great opportunity for you to take some small videos on your phone and put them on the website. Be like, yo, this can go with the episode we just recorded. That would have been great. And you missed it, Mike. You didn't do any of it. I didn't. I didn't do any of that. No, you know what I had? Two very bored children who just walked downstairs and stared at me. Oh, no power. That means no fun, no entertainment. What will they do? Yes, there was only so much battery and tablets and cell phones and laptops i still used my used my laptop i was editing that night or last night they on the other hand decided to try very hard to pick on each other and play like little children and and grayson's out of town so it's really just addison and aiden so the whole time i was trying to edit i had two very very bored children with no electronics picking on each other if if they would have been smart and i wish i wish aiden would have thought of this he could have took his phone out to your truck and plugged it in in your truck and then came in the house and used to put our battery was left. That way your battery in your truck charged his phone. <laughs> we pretty much, I stayed up until the laptop was just about dead. I had finished the episode, closed it up and just went to bed. I think the power came back on around five or six in the morning. Oh, that's not um, too bad then. I found Addison camped out on my bedroom floor. According to her, she was scared of the dark, although she doesn't use a nightlight. So there really is no difference from having power or no power, Uh, except for she usually has the home assistant playing a podcast while she goes to sleep. She usually listens to the Myths and Legends podcast while she's going to sleep, her stories. So not perfect use for your phone. Right, (laughs) right. So anyways, this week, we plan on talking about kind of some civil engineering. I don't know if you've read up on any any of this kind of stuff, but I want to talk about urban sprawl. I have not read up on it. I planned on just blindsiding this one as hard as I can. I'm just going to free ball it and see if I can figure it out. Well, it's really... It really isn't anything too crazy. I know I always like to spring stuff on you, throw it at you at the last second, just kind of keep you on your toes. But urban sprawl is really a discussion about how in the United States we do not densify our cities and our living areas. We, as Americans, love to have our own section of living space. Each individual person and or family has their own little house. We love suburbia where a lot of countries, they shrink that space. Everybody kind of lives in a smaller area. They live in apartments. They live in the the cities grow vertically and not horizontally like they do here. Yeah. So when I traveled in the past, I did see that, especially in Italy, at least where I was, there was a lot Mm -hmm. less like houses just outside of town. A lot Mm -hmm. of people lived in the populated areas. It was very compressed, very small. You know, everything was kind of pushed into one area. And then when you went between cities, there was very few of the farms or houses or I didn't see a single subdivision, at least while I was there. That Yeah, here in the U.S., it's we're all about suburbia. We're all about subdivisions. We're all about these either a bunch of houses packed together or like where you live, it's a house, it's an acre, it's a house, it's an acre and sprawl as more and more houses are built. It's kind of a problem for sustainability. 
no, no, you're right. But there is a, uh, um, there's a lot more than that. Like most of the things we get brought up, this is not as simple as like comparing us to other countries because of the foundation of our country. We are founded on the notion that we have certain intrinsic freedoms that are the bedrock to our civilization, which may sound like an excuse, but when you have two other people being raised, believing if nothing else, that they're special, and there's something important about them that makes them greater than someone else. And that is what people in this country are like, including myself, because I'm awesome. And you're okay too. <laughs> uh, when you have that though, you, people tend to want what they want and people want space. People don't like each other. Some people do. And in small doses, people do, but on average, people don't want to be near neighbors. They don't want to be, you know, stacked on someone else. They want their own things. They want their own space. They want their own quiet peace of mind. If you will, I, sometimes I very much agree with them. Sometimes I want to just go into the woods and vanish. Other times I miss being in the city because I like the culture and I, I like having everything so close by and ready at hand. But I think it just, it's a culture thing. I think it's, it's based solely on the notion that when you're raised believing certain things, when things are programmed into you at such an early age, you just grow up with a different set of ideals. Now, with that being said, there's another thing you want to look at with this is you look at like the history of the way cities are built, you know, first factories come in, if there's an industrial sector of the city and okay, we need, we need homes for the workers. So they just pop up all these little makeshift subdivisions with these cookie cutter houses real quick. And then as those, workers who live them predominantly are going to be early to mid, maybe even late 20 people that are starting families, their starter homes. So then they're going to get older. They're going to go, wow, I really don't like all the noise. I don't like the crime. I can't raise a family here. I don't, I don't like the lack of space. I want to get this. Or I want to do that. So then they go out in the country and they buy their acre, the acre and a half. An acre and a half isn't a lot of room, but it's a lot more than a city lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's a lot more than what most people across the world live on. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is I understand I com- this is not a shock to me. I completely understand why it is this way. Well, and it's been this way in the United States almost from the beginning. I mean, uh, uh, at least 100 years of planning for cities, probably closer to 150 years. As they plan cities, they plan them to spread out, to grow, and and not to densify. The The biggest part of the American way is that we use way more resources for all of this. So when we spread out a city, we're building more houses, we're building more roads, we're spreading our police force out, we're spreading our fire coverage out. The buses can't move as far. And as we get further and further and further out, honestly becomes more and more expensive. And that's well, because, one of the things people don't re- realize. Well, look at it from the Earth's perspective. How much damage goes into an ecosystem for infrastructure? What do they do to the ground to put in you know, the basic foundations for roads and sidewalks and plumbing and sewer systems? Like That's a big cost on the environment. Yeah, we remove a lot of times we'll we'll destroy wetlands because, you know, they when it comes to an economy, they don't feel they have much use until they pour dirt in there and decide to make it a subdivision. We want roads and infrastructure and all these things, but <laughs> we destroy everything around it to turn it all into concrete and homes. I seen this TikTok the other day where a guy goes, Yeah, I love this house. I just spent two hundred thousand dollars on this house and this brand new subdivision and it's a tiny house, nice house, really small. And this guy goes, so you bought a house in a subdivision? He's like, yeah, it's great. You know, there's a pond in the middle. I love hearing the frog tonight. Didn't this used to be a swamp? Yeah, but it was gross. But you like to hear the frogs in the pond and like, yeah, okay. And the guy just walks away. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happens. It's kind of like the joke of 
when they cut down the tree to use the wood to make a birdhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a much better birdhouse they cut down to make that birdhouse. In my research, I did find that there are things that people consider to be good when it comes to urban sprawl. One of them is it always ends to, you know, always lends to economic growth because you're building houses and roads and you're buying materials, all the things people that we just working, talked about. Yeah, people are working. It, I understand. It's considered a quality of life increase that when you have your own space and your own property, and I think that's debatable. And I can use my my example here as as one reason why. You know, when I lived in Flushing, I had a lot more space, but I spent a lot more time managing that space. So that acre, I was consistently one whole day a week, sometimes every two weeks, was limited to just cutting lawns, trimming, cutting ditches, keeping things clean, where when it was time to buy a new house, I came here knowing that I could do all of my outdoor maintenance in like an hour. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of subjective. I think that someone's quality of life is good. Well, it's what defines someone's quality of life is completely different from someone else. While you didn't look at that maintenance as maybe a, or a, a grill or a pastime, there's lots of people that love mowing their lawn. If nothing else, there's lots of guys, specifically men, not always, but in general, large demographic of men that, that like to spend money on toys so they can go and they can make sure their lawn is nice and perfectly straight. And they enjoy it, though. They really get like a, a sense of purpose and meaning. You get you got to realize, Mike, you are not you are not a, a poster child for the American male. The, the rest of us are stupid, like three to four brain cell popping people that just need a purpose in life. We find things that give us purpose and we do them in a routine that allows, allows us to feel useful, which gives us fulfillment. You're the only one that goes, I have an hour that I'm wasting throughout the day. What can I fill it with? Well, we have a finite life. We should accomplish something. While I completely agree with you, I just need you to understand that not everyone understands that. Fair enough. What I also saw is that a large amount of people looked at urban sprawl and equated it to the American dream. So I wrote on my notes just American dream in, in quotations because a lot there was a lot of people who truly believe that that is what you strive for. And once you've done it, you've achieved that American dream, which that- is your own little space. And if that gives them, you know, mental wellness, a good quality of life, that's what gives them a good quality of life. It, it's not something, listen, I don't agree with it, but we can't necessarily pass judgment on the way someone else is raised like that. That's true. And like, and like I've said in the past, there's a lot of things I'm, a lot of habits I'm trying to break. So it is kind of how we're all brought up. Now, the list of bad well outweighs the good ones here. Now, I want to say before I go into this, that it would I'm not sure I would enjoy city life. I like the idea of enjoying city life. I like the idea of living in a city where I can walk everywhere and where everything is within a a very short distance to get to it. Where here in the Midwest, nothing is that. You have a handful of things very close. Everything is vehicle centric. You must drive almost everywhere to get somewhere. You know, the irony, I agree with that, but the irony is that most cities, like real big cities, Detroit and Chicago, New York City, have really terrible air quality. And the irony is in those places that pretty much everything's walkable. You can go anywhere or you can ride a bike because it is an ex- 
extremely expensive to have vehicles in those places. I I'm in between. I I've lived in in the city and I've lived in the country, and they both have things that I find very alluring. I love love the simplicity and the convenience of living downtown. It's awesome. I want to go to a movie. It's one block over. I want to go to the grocery store. It's downstairs to the right. It's it's wonderful. On the flip side, my neighbors are super loud. Oh, I can't really get away from them. Where can I go in the city for peace and quiet? I can't. Well, and I think actual peace and quiet. I think what we run into is a different kind of lifestyle. I'm going to use Hawaii as an example. When I was in Hawaii, all most, I'll say most, not all. Most of the houses were very small, very primitive. I even saw one that was missing a wall. Like it was like a carport with a, with like a net (laughs) on the fourth wall because very few people just stay home. And I think in the city life, you get a lot of that too. There's so much to do so close that quite often you're out of the house more than you're in it is my assumption for downtown life. Just like in places like uh, Hawaii, where there's so much around you. Why would I be in the living room where in the Midwest and where we live now, most of what we do is we collect things in our house that we like to do. We don't go out as much and Mm -hmm. we, and we've, we live within our own space. I think it's two different mindsets. It is two different mindsets, but it's also, I mean, they said it's, it's all culture. It's all based in psychology. Every bit of it, you know, how, how many things are there to do in this state of Michigan that you have never done or never seen, never went to never experienced. I think I've done most of the things in Michigan. I, if I haven't, it's because I don't know they exist is probably what it is. I've been to Grand Rapids a bunch. I go to Detroit. I've been up North to a lot of the sites. Okay. How old are you? I am 45 and I'll put a disclaimer in here that says I didn't do it until I met Jameson. Okay. She is an adventurer. Well, that's where I was going with that. Like you're 45, which means I'll be 35 this year because we're 10 and a half years apart. And, I've lived here my whole life, well, most of my life, and so have you. There, There's things to do. They're not close. They're not like, you know, a two-minute walk away. But there's things to do in the state that are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, maybe it takes a little bit of driving or a little bit of time to get there. But there are things you can do that don't involve being stuck at home. Well, but that's the difference between the city life or condensed living situation versus our Midwest uh, sprawl. When Dr. Lee from the University of Michigan moved here from Seattle, it was the one thing that he could not get over is how he could not go anywhere on a, anywhere meaningful on a bicycle. Everything required his vehicle and it bothered him so much. Unless he came into downtown Flint and then brought his bicycle there, then he could ride you know places between classes. But almost every place that he wanted to live did not include that kind of mobility. No, I agree with that. And there's lots of places that are just, not that you can't ride a bike, it's just a long ride. And a lot of places, because it's such a long ride, don't, or because riding a bicycle is more of a leisure activity instead of a a normal part of everyday everyday life, it's not something that is accounted for in infrastructure and building designs for for cities and towns or maintenance upkeep. I can't think of three roads in Montrose that have a bike path on them. Well, and that's one of the things that we're trying to change here in Durant is to, if you build that infrastructure, it will get used more. Because one of the things that happens when you have large suburbias is it adds a tremendous amount of traffic. Yes, downtown has all that traffic, but how many of those people lived downtown? How many came into the city? 
for work. It is those suburbias that have to have the vehicles. They don't have mm-hmm. a choice. There isn't a bus stop out there where there is in the city. And where 70 people can get on a bus, that means in suburbia, those 70 people have to drive. Yep. And that's part of your city air quality problem is that because a lot of the people who live in the city have a bicycle, they walk, they have a short ride to work. They take the bus or the tram or whatever they have mm-hmm. where, where the people who live outside the city are driving in. When I was in Turin, Italy, as soon as it hit nine o'clock, these pillars came up. The city was closed to vehicle traffic. Really? All of the parking lots were outside of the city. And if people would drive and park there and take their bike out of their car and spend the rest of their day using the bike. Downtown Turin has these huge cement pillars that come out of the ground and block the roads. Hmm. There is no vehicle traffic during business hours in downtown Turin. Wow. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. And you know what it does? It creates foot traffic. It takes a large city and puts everybody on their feet or on their bicycle and in front of every shop instead of the cars. Now, granted, Italy, everything is tiny. The roads are tiny. There's very little parking. So I do, there is other reasons. In the United States, we we have an addiction to concrete and asphalt. We we want to pave every flat, unused surface. You have to pave it. Otherwise, the Dollar Generals aren't going to grow there. <laughs> it's almost like we if we see nature, we must destroy it because it is... <laughs> Horrible. That's why here we, we I spend a lot of time trying to convince people we need less parking, less parking. We have more parking spots than people. We don't need that. We need mobility. We need accessibility. We need people to have a single couple of spots where they can park and then walk from place to place to place. I agree with that. So one of the things that, that's a problem with urban sprawl is it creates long distances between where you live, where you shop and where you work. Yeah, that's a lot of embodied energy and the fuel and stuff, and it's terrible on the environment going place to place to place. And every day, not on, not only do you do you use the fuel, do you require the car, do you, but you also lose. One of the great things about staying home for COVID and working from home is I don't lose two hours a day. I was working an hour from home, forty eight minutes with good traffic, mm-hmm. and that means I have an additional hour and a half to sometimes two and a half hours, because on a Friday, you know, going north on 75 here, where everybody is on their way to their vacation spot, really can slow me down coming home. Oh, it's terrible. I get all that time back. I get all that time with my family. And if you lived in the city, you would hop on a bicycle. There is no traffic jam when you have a bicycle. And you would get home, and you would be home just as quickly, if not quicker. So when you when you live in suburbia, not only do you pay a lot more, to have your own little space, but you lose time because of things like that. I agree. You lose time. I One thing I was thinking about when you said that is what I had noticed is a lot of times the big headquarters for companies like large companies end up being in these, these really densely populated business cities. Uh, but when they were being built, like a lot of these towns started off as small towns and then businesses came in because they were cheap. Then they exploded. And when they it's great when things thrive but at the same side then you kind of it goes right back to the problem we have what we're talking about and it's it's frustrating as someone like just working in flint when i worked in flint my truck would cost me ten dollars per way every day to go there so 20 bucks a day in fuel just to go to flint and back adds up real quick and you know it's 600 a month in gas if i worked every day oh plus you have 
completely different insurance rates from apartment to a house. There's all these costs. Your electric and energy bills are dramatically different. Uh, when you have an apartment or a small space, it doesn't take nearly as much heat or air conditioning to be comfortable. And your light bill is almost always much, at least half as much as a full house. I have a house with five people. I think there's maybe two people that know that the switch has two directions. <laughs> okay, that, that's funny. I get home sometimes and it looks like a Hallmark card. Everything is lit up. Nothing's missing. Uh, and with the attic now being an office, it, it it can be all the way from the basement to the attic, all turned on. Well, I mean, no one wants you to miss your house. Well, I, and I don't for sure. And as you brought up, we destroy wildlife. We push it away. We We shove wildlife further and further out the farther we grow out. Yeah. Your 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 frogs comment there. Well, no, you're, but you're right though. I did well. I did say that, but it's 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 just just the way it is. And I'm sitting here thinking about the notion of I love the idea of owning land. I do. I like the idea of having space. I don't have any reason to have the land. Like for instance, a friend of mine has 30 acres. They live on the first five. He's got trails. He rides his three wheelers down through the back of it. He's got a pond and a river and stuff that runs to the back of his property. I really think his property is nice, but it's not that there's any particular reason it's just other than the trails he rides it's untouched it is the way it is and at least untouched you know compared to what we're talking about so the last time we were over there we were riding down the trail on the other side of his property there was 20 or 30 deer just running through the backfield it was really nice to see that kind of stuff it was it's nice to see nature be nature well and, it, and at least that's that's preserved in that's in that scenario that it's not being developed but they're paying for that. You know, that is, we have to make decisions on our resources. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I know that when Jamie and I retire, when we go, hopefully, to the big island of Hawaii, which is the nature island, a little bit cheaper, a little more calm, that we will be able to live very small. We will be able to find a very small place because we'll do everything outside. We'll do everything somewhere else. We'll just come home in the rare occasion that it rains or mm-hmm. when I need a shower and go to bed, that my, our life experience will change dramatically. Instead of using all of our resources for home, we'll use all of our resources for travel and to be out somewhere else. It's a good idea. I like it. So, I mean, it's, it's a trade-off. It really is. Now we have family members who pour all their resources into home and have no interest in leaving the property. And that is their decision and their choice. But we have to at least know that in this sprawl that we're creating, that is not only ecologically bad, it is financially devastating also. Now, another thing I found during my research is something that I usually attribute to large cities because there's so much concrete in one space, is that urban heat island effect. Well, in suburbia, we're laying more and more concrete, more driveways, more roads, more walk, uh, walk space. We're leaving less and less and less green space. You get this tiny pond, two trees, next house. Yep. And what it's doing is raising the temperatures around those areas. That you mm-hmm. can see, you can see temperatures that jump between five and fifteen degrees Fahrenheit, just because there isn't cooling agents around. Trees are a cooling agent. Even just if they would have painted the road white, it would have been better. It just absorbs this energy, creating such a hot space in all of mm-hmm. these concrete jungles. 
that's why I think I'm a fan of like in the cities, you do green space rooftops, uh, green space on top of bus stops, any place where you can give some kind of cooling agent. Plus, there's no place for bees to go. There's no place for any pollinators to go. You start creating this food desert for nature, Mm -hmm. which is going to continue the cascade of losing species or at least shoving them out of areas, making it very challenging to pollinate. I completely agree with that. And one of the things I noticed the other day, and I've been trying to find it online to find um, information on it, but I can't. I, I don't really know what it's called. I was going to a Kroger and I noticed that up inside the letters, there were like spikes, big three inch spikes inside of the O and the G. And I've been trying to figure out why, whether that's something for people or for animals to build nests around, or if that's their attempt to stop them from building nests in there. That's exactly but, what it is. I found that to be really dis. It really bothered me. Yeah, that's uh, and I saw it for the first time in an airport, and I'm not kidding. Inside of an airport, because in Hawaii the airport's like a carport. There's no walls. Yeah. And the TVs that were there had those little wire spikes, and that was to keep birds from landing on them, and then of course pooping or building nest in those areas. So what you're seeing in the letters at Kroger are anti-bird devices, so they don't make homes where they used to live well i don't like that it was not very happiness for me i was very upset sean if you're listening i know that sounded ridiculous it was meant to (laughs) okay (laughs) well there's other infrastructure mistakes when it comes to urban sprawl first of all all the yards are designed a certain way to run water away from the yard so every time we have large rains it's all designed to shove it to the street wash the street of all of its oils and garbage and everything that is there right into our drinking water into our drains where some of that will go off to be conditioned for drinking water but when there's too much it just diverts into a river so all the antifreeze all the anything you've ever dumped in a street any garbage glass whatever it happens it just washes down and ends up either conditioned in your drinking water where they have to pay to take it all out or run it through the local rivers and streams or fall into your lake nearby yep so that is a big problem with water runoff because the more houses you build the more water that goes the less capacity you have and the bigger mess that it creates part that i think is really funny about that whole thing is that the this those properties at least the ones in subdivisions are built, like you said, for water to run off. But to do that, they have to bring in and develop thousands of yards of soil and dirt because a lot of times they, like you said earlier, use wetlands for this stuff. And then they go and they put a pond in the middle. I don't know. It, it really bothers me. I hate it. It drives me crazy. A lot of times they'll use a, uh, what you, what you see as a pond or a mad main pond is their drainage retention yep. pond. Yeah, I got my first interaction with those. Um, there is one, they so there used to be a Kmart and Clio, and there is a very, very large drainage retention pond next to it. It's huge. It's probably three and a half, four acres. And after all these years, you can fish out of it. I mean, I wouldn't eat the fish, but there is a lot of, lot of you know, things living. It's, it's a beautiful ecosystem now, but it's man-made. Well, and it was... It was made to shove water out of an area and nature has decided to create an ecosystem there. And if they ever lose the infrastructure, it will also dry up and die. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it is, it can be 
a dangerously temporary ecosystem. Uh, a couple other quick things before we move on that I have problems with when it comes to urban sprawl. First of all, they're really expensive to maintain. You're yeah. laying roads for miles and miles and miles. So how many times have you been in areas or cities where you're going, man, how come half these roads are destroyed? It takes uh, a lot I of live, money. I live between Flint and Saginaw, so three or four times a week. Yeah, exactly. There's forgotten areas where they just can't necessarily repair them like they need to be repaired. If we were densified, moved in closer, everybody was you know, a little bit tighter, it's easier to maintain those streets. Just well, like we talked about the police and the bus coverage. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you got to realize that people, these cities blow up. And they, when I say blow up, I use it as a, the term for expansion. They they get real big real fast. So, okay, we need more infrastructure. We got to expand over here. We need this over there. Okay, well, we got increased taxes. So they, they do all this based on a tax base. And then as time moves on, industry changes. People either pass away or move out. And those local communities start to wither and they die. The tax base goes down. Well, now they have all this stuff they've got to maintain with no money. Yeah. And Flint has that big problem because it went from a big city to a small city. So now what you have is a large footprint for a city where they've started to redensify it. But the city itself is very, very large if you look at the, the footprint for the city. So now how do you get buses to the north end, the south end? How do you get well, there's not a lot in the middle? How do you get police coverage? How do you get fire coverage? And it's created this mess where areas are not policed or that when they call for a fire truck, it takes an hour. Well, it's all ta- it's all tax base. There's no income to have the staff needed to, to properly service all the areas when there's no one living in those areas. Think about all the blocks of uh, abandoned and, and stripped houses in Flint. I know, I know there's some in Saginaw, too, but I'm just more familiar with Flint. So if there's a really bad fire one day and, and it takes out four or five of those houses because they're at this point, all the metal's been stripped out of them from looters and they're just torn down to nothing. We don't have a fire department that could probably service that and take care of something on the other side of town. It can't be done. Not in not with the current state of the situation. Yeah, I think in a lot of places we've just spread too large and created a, a bill that these cities can't maintain. Like most things. People love it. It spreads too big. It grows too big too fast. It isn't able to be maintained. So people move on. Industry moves on. And they spread on do the same thing somewhere else. Really, if I'm being honest, humans are like somewhere in between a locust and an ant. We're a colony. We, we, we there's, there's tons of us. We go and we spread and we build and build and build. And go, I'm bored. Let's go destroy something somewhere else. And we just move on. Uh, I think there's some unfortunate parallels in there. I would like to say that some of those in- include new inventions and greater things, but we tend to do make a mess. Well, you got to blow up a lot of stuff to make new inventions, man. Well, so another thing that I found that I think I knew, and this is something that we're working on here in Duran with trying to make things walkable, give people reasons to walk, is that communities that have large subs like this, don't interact with each other. The act of community, the further out you go, the less and less you see. That in large cities, people interact with each other all the time. When you walk, you say hi. You you see people you know. You stop and you have a conversation. Occasionally in the summertime, you do here. You do see people walking around. I'm yeah. one of those guys that goes for walks and because I'm looking at vegetables downtown. But that doesn't happen in most suburban areas. Well, no, it, it doesn't. Usually what ends up happening is... in if people want to put in their two cents and correct me on this, or maybe just kind of share their experiences in their communities, I'd really appreciate that. Um, 
and I'd like to hear people from other countries to see how it compares to them. But usually as a parent, you know, you have children, your children go to a school. So naturally you become, if nothing else, acquainted with your children's friends' parents. And that becomes a small social circle. If you live close enough, you'll walk by, you'll see them, you'll say hello. You start to become familiarized with people at the PTO or in your case, the, the city board. And you start to get a small idea of a community in the sense that you know five, six, seven hundred people, or let's say you know a thousand people, but let's say there's four thousand in your community. So you know twenty five percent of your community. That when that sounds like a lot, but when you think that when you put every one of those people in like the silver dome, let's say let's say if, for those of us that remember the silver dome, you put four thousand people in the in the silver dome. You're only gonna know one out of every four. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it that should put into perspective how how hard it is to stay socialized with those communities as they get bigger and bigger. Montrose is tiny. There's 4,000 people that live here. I don't know anywhere near that. I used to know, I used to feel like I knew every single person everywhere. Now I can go into the grocery store and I see dozens of people I've never met before. And I'm not saying that as a good thing. I mean, but it's hard to be a community when you don't know each other. Yeah. And when you're in a city and you spend time walking around, you're passing people, you're, you're talking to people, you're, you're running into someone, you know, and they're introducing you to someone they know you Mm -hmm. interact more and not only do you lose that connection because really what you're doing is hopping in a car and you're going somewhere you're not doing the walk which means that they're starting to show people in cities are much more healthy they're physically healthier because they walk from place to place they ride a bike from place to place and they're not always in their car what are you trying to say mike that i obviously don't walk enough yeah you i like that you don't walk (laughs) enough i don't at all so But it's on a large scale, study after study after study, which I don't think we necessarily needed a study. When you live in the suburbs, you drive. When you live in the city, you walk. And if you walk more than you drive, you're going to be healthier, flat out by default. It's one of those common sense moments. It is. So I started to think, how do you make it better? And in the United States, I'm not sure there's an answer for that. Because so many people care so much about their space and their home and the stuff in it that I'm not sure you really can say, hey, leave your two acres, go get an apartment, because they're not going to do it. Well, I don't I don't think they're dipping into dicey waters on this. I have said these words before, and you always disagree with me, but it, I'm going to say it again. The U.S. is a big place. Like, it's a huge plot of land. It, it's too diverse. There's too many different types of cultures and subcultures that are just ingrained in our DNAs that all simultaneously are built on the notion of, well, I'm here, I'm free, you don't like it, screw off. People are going to do what they're going to want to do. And so with that being said, you got to find like-minded individuals. You have to find a some sort, not an echo chamber, but a sounding board. People that will at least let you express yourself so you can talk about these ideas and say, you know, this is kind of what I think and I don't really think this is that great and blah, 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 because the average person, the people that we grew up with, they're not going to support these ideas. So you have to, I guess, pick your audience, man. Target them. You're good at Facebook demographics. Find them. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, as an engineer, I like to root cause every problem and try to find what is that, that one single string that you can pull that will help fix the whole problem. And what I came up with is, is a two-part solution, which is smart design in cities being able to build cities so they don't feel cluttered, so they don't feel like you're constantly in traffic. Because if you're driving from a suburb into a city, you feel like you're always in traffic. And make a city worth being in. 
create public spaces, beautiful places to go, making sure that there's always plenty plenty of things to do and that the city has both mobility and accessibility. You can travel easily and find what you want quickly. If you can continue to make cities better and better in that sense, more and more people over time will choose to live in them. And I think that that's what we have to work on. I think that what you said was a very, very nice Thanos idea. <laughs> Uh-oh. The operative word was over time. So essentially what you're saying is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So you're just going to keep making life better and better. So as time goes on and new generations people are born that are more open-minded, they're just going to accept the new ideas versus the old ways, which I think is really kind of a good idea. All I want to do is make it better so it's a better choice. Is really all it is. It, it, if you make a city attractive, that's why so many people, there's certain segments of people who flock to San Diego. There's certain people who flock to Seattle, but there's also a chunk of people who go to Chicago and go to New York City because even though it has its issues, they're experiencing the city. What I'm saying is take that excitement, that frame, and just keep making it better. Make it for people. No different than what we're doing at such a small scale here in Duran. Look at every foot and make it better for people and easier for people. And by default, people will want to live there. I hope you're right, because I think that there's a lot of, well, I guess to suppose one of the the biggest draws to cities is the diversity for different types of people and things they like. You said San Diego. Well, really, any city, any large city in California offers a whole swath of things for people to come. Actors and actresses. If you're into the arts, that's one of those states that's just made for you. Even culinary. I mean, it's it's huge out there for food. So I understand that, you know, if it to increase the quality of life in a city and, and the the appeal you're going to have to make changes and i i think that if you make the right changes you will actually pull more i i, I don't know you're winning me over i like it well and i think that generation after generation because they are changing on their own okay there's a very big difference between jamie and i and and as you get to eight it's like a and a, foot and a half well other than height but oh, she focuses on experiences i always grew up that you work and you buy stuff so I was the guy who said, we needed the home, we fill the home, we have nice things, we have a place. Jamie could honestly, I think, care less. She wants to go do things and see things. Well, if you live in small spaces, kind of like the tiny house episode, then you spend less and you're capable of going to do more. And I think even by default, younger generations already see that benefit. They much rather take their $1,000 and instead of use it for insurance on a vehicle, they go to Canada for a week. They go to Florida for a week. They visit another country. They do something of some kind of experience. And that will help push people back into cities and densify them. If the people have that mentality, absolutely. I do think that there is something to be said about your generation because and I'm not talking technically about generations per se, but and the 10 years there are between you and I, there is a very large difference in ways of thinking. Now, part of it can be based on and generation, a little bit can be based on upbringing, but the, the majority of it can be based on the notion that you're just older to have a different perspective than I am. It's not that I'm not going to get there. I'll get there when I get there, but we're, we're not the same age. So it's unfair to, to say that it's 
all based on generation. You're just wiser and have more life experience than I do. And I'm using that as a perspective. I'm 34, you're 45. I like the sound of that when you say I'm wiser. Yeah, you see the wisdom in your sideburns. <laughs> is that the color change? That's yes. visual wisdom. Your wisdom is becoming powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we've touched a little bit on some of the pros and cons, probably way more cons than pros, because that's the reality of, of urban sprawl. Yep. And so that's really all I had this week. Did you have anything in your notes that was beyond this? Um, I drew a puppy dog. You drew a puppy dog. I always do it while we talk. Well, then um, it, is, it is easier to have a puppy dog in the suburbs than it is a city. No. No? Kind. I mean, kind of. I guess it depends on the size of the dog. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have for this week. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or share it on social media. We greatly appreciate when you do that. Other ways to support the podcast? Well, you can become a, a monthly subscriber for as low as 99 cents on Anchor. Or Ching -ching. just... Or just simply leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Those do seriously help us out, helps more people find us. So again, thank you very much for listening. And remember, all we have to do is get a little better each day. So the more we work at it, the better it gets. Little bit, little bit, big bit. I'm Mike. And I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you next week. I told you I had energy tonight, and I'm tired of trying to have energy. Feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? That Ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. Learn more at ethic.org. E-T-H-Y-K.org.